Today in the Journey with Steve DeWitt. What woman in all of human history has ever received a greater honor than Mary to bear Jesus? She doesn't magnify self, she magnifies the Lord. She recognizes that only God would do it this way. We frequently turn to poets and songwriters to grasp the essence of things. While historians inform us about events, it's the artist who reveal their significance. And in the case of Christ's birth, the artist is none other than Mary herself. Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt presents an insightful lesson from the first chapter of Luke, all about Mary's powerful song of praise. You can listen online at thejourney.fm and find related resources as well. Now here's Pastor Steve with part two of his message titled, The Magnificat. Let me read now the song that Mary composes in response to her cousin Elizabeth rejoicing in her child. And Mary said, this is Luke 1, 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Now, what we see obviously here is that this Mary, this young girl, was a tremendous woman of the word. The words that she shares here, many of them flowing right out of the Psalter, right out of the Psalms, right out of her heart, and in a, in a most doctrinally rich and profound way. How many 14-year-old girls do you know that could write something like this? And what I'd like to do is I'd like to tackle this, not by reading the whole or studying the whole thing, but simply focusing on verses 46 through 48 and four words that explain what Christmas is all about, and four words that, if properly understood and in context, will not only bring the Christian to a point of worship, but will also bring the sinner to a point of salvation. The first word we see in the first phrase, my soul magnifies the Lord. So what does it mean to magnify the Lord? I think a helpful illustration is a well-known illustration of the difference between a microscope and a telescope. A microscope is something that uh, helps make little things bigger. Telescope does the opposite. A telescope is not helping us make something little appear bigger. It is about making something that is massive, observable, and understandable. And when it comes to the incarnation, and what Mary is getting at here is she's not saying, you know what, I magnify like a microscope. I'm not saying this is a little thing. This is a massive thing that I come in, I bring into my understanding and I realize what majesty and glory and, and beauty truly there is in what God has done. Microscope, telescope. The very first Christmas song is nothing about microscoping, but about the enormity that the Son of God 
who dwelled in eternity past in all the glory and majesty that was his, infinite glory and majesty, that this second person of the Trinity has left that place of exaltation and has come into this world. And Mary, now realizing, has come in the smallest, most profound way, a cell, a single cell inside her womb that divided and divided and divided. Mary realizes this is not a little thing. This is a massive thing. What do you got today in your, in your hand? You got a microscope or you got a telescope? I'll tell you, our culture is all about microscoping Christmas. You listen to the news, you read the whatever. What you find, what we find is, is that in the culture, in the unbelieving culture, they want to say, you Christians, you're making a big deal out of something that's not so big. You're microscoping this thing. It's little, it's small. And they do that in so many ways. Let's change the language, right? It's, it's a holiday. It's the spirit of Christmas. It's about family. It's about giving. It's about this, that, and the other. I'm here to tell you that has nothing to do with what the meaning of Christmas is all about. It is about the Son of God, Jesus, who came into this world to save sinners. That is what Christmas is about. And everything else is fluff around it. And the church has got to get that. And we as Christians have got to get that because when I don't get that, now my heart is flat. And I certainly don't get to a place of worship, which is, if you want to pick a word for what Mary's doing here, she is worshiping God. My soul magnifies the Lord within me. I think what happened was Mary, the angel appears to Mary, tells her this news. She's shocked by the news like anybody would be. And she has time now as she travels to Elizabeth to go see Elizabeth on the road and over the night and however long that took for her to get there. And she thought about it and she pondered the Old Testament scriptures, which she clearly knew very well. And her soul, her heart welled up with joy and gladness and at least a basic understanding of what God was doing. And it overflowed in the song that we have before us magnifying the massiveness of what God was doing. Microscope or telescope, why don't you just do a little self-analysis. What have I got today? What have I got in my heart? Second word we find is rejoice. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I think if there is any, if you want to talk about emotion, if there's any emotion that jumps out of the Christmas narrative, it is joy. I mean, you, you read through the story and you have all of these remarkable things, right? Elizabeth and Zechariah having a child later in life, joy at that. You've got Gabriel coming to Mary and telling her the most trembling kind of wonderful news the world has ever heard. What comes out of that? Joy and gladness. You've got her song here. The angels celebrating, filling heaven with their song. The shepherds hearing the news, running to see the baby, rejoicing in what they, what they have heard and seen. Later, the wise men, two years later approximately, coming down, joy and gladness. The whole thing, it is, if there's an emotion about it, it is joy and gladness, but it is not manufactured. And that's the thing that also in, 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 in our culture that we live in, we try to manufacture it with the song and with the uh, decorating, all these kind of things. 
and it will feel superficial if we do not understand that the joy flows from the meaning. And the meaning is that is Emmanuel, God with us. When I get that, the natural response is gladness. Like Mary, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let heaven and earth sing. Third word, humble. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. We see here again the kind of character that God chose in the woman who would bear his own son. She realized who she really was. She did not have an inflated sense of self. In fact, to ask this question, what woman in all of human history has ever received a greater honor than Mary to bear Jesus? I mean, think of all the Oscars and all of the queens and all of the crowns and all of the things that people applaud for what woman is more honored than Mary? None. She is number one. I mean, when you're at the party and, and, and the woman's going, well, did you know that my child was a 4.0 this, this year? And another, well, did you know that I, uh, you know, ran the Chicago Marathon? And uh, did you know that I had three appearances on Oprah? You know, and they're going around the room trying to one-up each other. And then Mary says, I bore the son of God. I mean, that pretty much trumps everything, doesn't it? In fact, the people that are doing these other things, think about if, if, if your average woman, girl was to get an honor, not even close to this, what they would do with it, right? It'd be on Facebook right away. She'd be, you know, uh, on the billboard. She'd be her, she'd get an agent. She'd be trying to, you know, leverage that and make the most of it. In other words, the inflation of self, the magnification of self, and Mary is the exact opposite of that. She doesn't magnify self, she magnifies the Lord. And she certainly doesn't think to herself, well, God got this one right. Because after all, look at the kind of wonderful person that I am. She says the opposite of that. The Lord has seen me in my humble estate. She recognizes that only God would do it this way. I mean, if she had time to think about it and to talk to the angel, she might've said, you know, I think you may have the wrong girl. Why not a rich man's daughter? Why not, why not a king's daughter? to bear the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I think you might have the wrong girl. And I think in Joseph, you might have the wrong guy. I mean, he's, nobody's ever heard of Joseph. He's a carpenter. He's not, he's not a professor. He's not a, he's not a, a political ruler. Are you sure you want Joseph to be the, the guy that's raising this child? I think you might have the wrong circumstance. I mean, somehow I think I've got to get down to Bethlehem because I know my Bible and Micah says that, uh, you know, the child's to be born in, in Bethlehem. We're up here in Nazareth. That's a long walk. And if I'm pregnant, that doesn't sound very fun. I think maybe this isn't, exa- I don't see how the circumstances are exactly working for this to play out. You might, you might have the wrong circumstance. I think you might have the wrong setting. The wrong setting, a cave. The right setting, it would seem to me, would be the palace where the finest doctors of the land are waiting and nurses and the finest of linens 
And the moment the child is born, to be placed upon a throne, not a feeding trough. I think maybe this isn't, you're not quite, this isn't right. You're not doing it the right way. Naturally, we look at the whole story and we say, everything about what happened is the opposite of the way that it should happen. And yet this is how God does it. Remember, his goal is not to come and to save the great and to save the mighty and to save the famous. He came into this world to save sinners. Those in their brokenness and their lowliness, those of us who realize that we have nothing to offer God, that there is no good thing within us, we are low. That's what it takes to be saved, is to acknowledge, I have a great need. And Christ stepped into that brokenness. He stepped into the need. He stepped into the, into the grief and into the sin and the wickedness and all of the brokenness in this world. This world is not the way that it ought to be. This world is so not that. And we see that brokenness that sin has created. And he didn't stay in his lofty throne and say, okay, I'm gonna save all you people, but I certainly don't wanna get my hands dirty. From the beginning, he got dirty, placed in a feeding trough. That is the whole story of Jesus. Humbled himself to become a servant and giving his life as a servant to ransom many. Isn't it beautiful? I mean, it's just, it's so confounding and yet so wonderful at the same time. Bonhoeffer writes it this way, who among us will celebrate Christmas right? Those who finally lay down all their power, honor, and prestige, all their vanity, pride, and self-will at the manger. Those who stand by the lowly and let God alone be exalted. Those who see in the child in the manger, the glory of God, precisely in this lowliness. Magnify, rejoice, humble. The last word is savior. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Mary was a virgin, but she was not sinless. Sinless people don't need a savior. But Mary says in her song, it's the very first stanza, that he is my savior. Now, why is that critical? Because we look in the story, and if there was anybody in the story that you might go, oh, you know what? We all know what Peter was like, and, you know, John had his moments, and, um, you know, Moses was a great leader, but he, you know, did some things that weren't the best. And we all know about David and, and uh, Adam was great for a while, but then we know that he sinned. And you just go through the whole story of all of the heroes and you know all of them are really good. But if there's somebody that you would think maybe possibly if there'd be somebody that wouldn't need a savior, it might be the Virgin Mary. And yet right here, we have the Virgin Mary saying, I stand at the front of the line. I need a savior. And friend, today, you might be a good person. You might have many admirable qualities, but you're no Mary. And if Mary needed a savior, don't you think that you do as well? And out of that need, is it possible that this child is the savior 
you need. How does he become my savior? I don't know what that means. He was born 2,000 years ago. We've come to find out that in God's plan, this child grew up, lived a very perfect life, died on the cross as the one sinless person dying for sinners. And God tells us in his word, here's how it's going to work. Any sinner that repents of their sins and receives my son as, her, as, as his or her savior, I will forgive all of your sins and I will give you eternal life. That's the way it's going to work. And God sets the rules and that's the way that it's going to be. But the good news is we simply believe. We believe. Like Mary, who believed herself what the angel said. For you today to believe, not what I'm saying, I'm a sinner just like you, but to believe what God says through his word and through his angels and through his son. This saving message grounded in a savior who has come. And you can believe today. Right where you're seated, you can believe today. Now, Christian, I said also at the beginning, I was hoping that for perhaps those of us that are exhausted and spiritually we're thin, we feel like I'm not there yet, how do we get there? I would say to you that Mary has given us a great guide to getting there. In fact, you can take those in reverse. It begins with an understanding of my need, my need for a savior. In fact, our, your, our joy at Christmas is equal to my sense of how much I need a savior. If I don't need a savior that much, well, then this is not such a big deal. But if I realize how much I need a savior, now my joy is really glad that a savior has come. Amen, you with me? Okay, those two always go together. So if you're flat right now, it probably means that you are minimizing the need that you have for Christ's coming. But he begins with an understanding that he is, my, he is a savior and that I need a savior, which flows out of a humility where I acknowledge that I'm not all that, that I'm, 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 I'm a human being. I have failed God morally over and over again. I have failed my family. I have failed to be what I ought to be. I am a sinner. I'm nothing great. I'm here and today and gone tomorrow. No need to exalt myself. I am in a humble estate. And when I get my humility and that Jesus has come for me, there flows out of that joy, right? Joy, which is something we all very much want, but we don't want to manufacture. And from that joy flows worship. My soul magnifies the Lord. And if I think if we take those things backwards and walk this thing to the point of worship, we can celebrate Christmas like a genuine Christian. And I know I want that. And I want that for you and for our whole church family, that this would be a very special Christmas for all of us. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Magnify, rejoice, humility, Savior. Amen. Amen. May we take our cue and measure our hearts by these standards. You're listening to the conclusion of a message titled, The Magnificat. 
here on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. And today, we actually have Pastor Steve with us in the studio. Hey, Tim, it's great to be here, and Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, Merry Christmas, and the holidays are such a special time. The gathering, the food, the music. Speaking of music, I, I realized in the message today that Mary was perhaps the first person to compose a Christmas song. I'd never thought about that before. Steve, any takeaways that Mary actually sang a song? There's so much to that. If you really think about the irony that uh, Mary, who is about to uh, to be pregnant with the creator of the universe, herself creates. She creates a lyric, and we assume that she sang it. Um, I doubt that she rapped it, <laughs> but <laughs> we, we, uh, we look at the Magnificat and when you consider that, you know, Mary is a teenager, the depth of the theology that she expresses is remarkable. I mean, if you think of a, the average 14 or 15 year old girl that, you know, um, how many of them would be able to come up with a theologically rich uh, lyric like it. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing song that she sings. And the fact that she sings, though, is I, I think really what we're highlighting here. And Christianity has always been a singing faith. You know, it's one of the contributions of, of uh, Christianity to the arts over the centuries has been uh, there's something about having the joy of Jesus in your heart that comes out in song or artistic expression of some kind. And Mary puts on display that joy and uh, she wants to sing. And I think one of the takeaways for us this Christmas is uh, how much do we resemble her? You know, we could even make the argument that as she is filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, that uh she wants to sing and that the song is an indication of the joy we have at Christmas. And I know for many of us, it's not our first Christmas, you know, and it's maybe the hundredth time of singing, you know, song, joy to the world or whatever, but it really is the joy that we have in Jesus coming that produces the um, the joy in the song. And I would encourage all of us to follow the example of Mary, this teenage girl who composes and sings a rich Christological Christmas song. Thank you, Steve. Well, here at The Journey, our aim is to guide you in your life journey towards the unwavering and immutable truth found in God's Word. That's why each day on the radio and internet, we take you into the depth of Scripture while making its truth easy to understand and applicable to your daily life. But as a listener-supported program, none of this would be possible without you. The journey relies in part on the financial gifts of generous people just like you, our listening family. And December is our most important month because it will either set us on a firm or shaky foundation for the new year of ministry ahead. So would you help us share the truth of the gospel with listeners all around the country? By giving a special year-end gift today, just call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And when you give, we'll say thanks by sending you a book called In the Manger, 
Join pastor and New York Times bestselling author Max Lucado as he invites you to bear witness to the birth of Christ as you've never seen it before through 25 inspirational selections, great for Advent or any time of the year. Request your copy along with your donation by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. And while you're at our website, you'll also find practical articles written by Pastor Steve just for you. You'll receive biblical insight on a variety of topics like faith, family, finances, and much more. Again, you'll find them at thejourney.fm. Well, I'm Tim Svoboda. Join us next time when Pastor Steve DeWitt begins a new message all about why love is the greatest. That's coming up Thursday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.